Well, please turn in your Bibles at this time to Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 35. Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 35. Last time we were together in Luke's gospel in chapter 13, we heard Jesus uh, heard about Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. And I noted that there's this connection between that narrative and the narrative that we are uh, coming to today, which is all about the kingdom of God. So Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 35, please pay careful attention for this is the holy and inspired word of God. And Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And he, that is Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but you yourselves cast out. And the people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he write this word upon our hearts this morning. Well, the kingdoms of this world 
are inherently unstable. They totter to and fro. Think of the great empires, the great kingdoms of the West that have all come and went. Think of current events and the war that's going on in Ukraine and the the suffering, the pain, the death, the tumult that's going on because of that. The refugees that are that are flooding the uh, countries in, in Europe. We think of what we've endured the last couple years. A world economy that was shut down with, uh, with this virus. We think of our current economy and the instability that, that rests there. The inflation, the unknowns. The kingdoms of this world are unstable. That's true in all times and all places throughout human history. In fact, God says in Isaiah chapter 40 that the nations of this world are like a drop in the bucket. They're like dust on the scales to him. It's easy for us, as we look at the front page of the newspaper, to to become anxious about the state of affairs in the kingdoms of this world. And when we feel the anxiety beginning to flood our hearts, we do well to lift our mind and our hearts to the kingdom that's not of this world. The kingdom that Jesus himself brought in his first coming. Now this kingdom that Jesus brought in his first coming was a kingdom that the disciples were not expecting. The disciples were expecting a a political kingdom. A renewed theocracy like, like that of old. David and Solomon enjoyed. The disciples were expecting this kingdom to deliver them from the tyranny of the Romans, and to set up shop in Jerusalem. But Jesus himself says in John 18 that the kingdom that he brings is, is not of this world. The disciples got it all wrong, and this is one of the reasons why Jesus takes so much time and, and effort to teach about the kingdom with parables, illustrations, similes, and metaphors. Disciples just don't get it. Think of Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus is about to ascend and and leave this earth, and and the disciples are like, finally, Jesus, are you going to renew the kingdom to Israel? They still don't get it. So what is the kingdom of God like? To what shall we compare it? This is the rhetorical question that Jesus asks in this passage. To what is the kingdom of God like? And these are the questions that I want us to focus our hearts and minds on this morning. And we'll see four things. We'll see that Jesus describes the kingdom as a growing kingdom, a kingdom that blesses, a kingdom that requires faith, and lastly, a kingdom that Jesus desires for you. So first we see Jesus describes the kingdom as a growing kingdom. Now, beginning in verse 18, Jesus gives two images to describe the nature of the kingdom. He points to a seed, a mustard seed growing into a tree. And a mustard seed in in that day and and time was really the smallest of all seeds. It's amazing. This tiny, tiny seed develops into a tree that gives shade to much vegetation and, and the birds of the air make their nests in its branches. 
these mustard trees could to grow to about 10 feet tall. Jesus also points to leaven. A small amount of leaven can affect the whole dough. It permeates the whole lump. So leaven and a seed growing into a tree. And Jesus here is likely alluding to Ezekiel 17. Ezekiel 17 is a a prophecy about the messianic kingdom. That is to say, the kingdom that the Messiah will inaugurate. And Ezekiel talks about this, this sprig that God would plant. And this sprig would grow up into a great cedar of Lebanon. And this great cedar would give shade to all of the birds of the air. The birds there uh, stand for the nations, the Gentiles, who will come under the kingdom of God. So a seed, a seed growing into a tree and, and leaven. And these two images indicate for us that the kingdom has, as one author puts it, small beginnings, a pinch of leaven, a mustard seed. But yet it enjoys exponential growth. A tree with great branches and a leavened, a leavened um, lump of dough. And when we think about this growth, it's very ordinary. It's not flashy. A seed growing into a tree, if you zero in on that growth, you, you can't see a tree growing day to day, week to week, even month to month basis. But when you step back and look at it over time, over years, over decades, you see this amazing growth. Something that begins as tiny as a, as a small seed grows into a, a, a mighty tree. Same thing with leaven. And we see this promise of the kingdom that Jesus is detailing for us here beginning to be fulfilled in the book of Acts. Luke's second volume, the Acts of the Apostles. And right before the book of Acts in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus is about to leave this earth and he, he commissions these 12 men with his power and authority to go forth into all of the nations and make disciples through the means of the word. He says, teach them all that I've commanded you and the sacraments. Baptize them in the name of the triune God. So this kingdom, which begins with 12 men, a mustard seed, a pinch of leaven, is to go forth to the ends of the world. And this is reiterated in the beginning of Acts, Acts 1, where he says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This kingdom is not just going to permeate to the far corners of Palestine. It's going to go far beyond that. As you continue to read through the book of Acts, one thing that you see is that this kingdom grows. The seed grows through the means of the apostolic preaching. The apostles preach and the kingdom continues to grow. One way Luke describes this growth is that the word multiplies. That phrase stands in place of the church grows, the kingdom is growing. And you get to end of Acts, Acts 28, it's very interesting. Paul is in Rome. This kingdom which began with 12 men in, in Jerusalem is concluding now in Rome, Paul is in, arrested or in, on a house arrest in Rome, a long ways away from Jerusalem. In some sense, according to the first century mind, would be the ends of, of the known, known world. 
And this is how the book of Acts ends. Listen to, listen to how Luke concludes this book. He says that uh, Paul lived there, that is in Rome, two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Paul is bound in some sense, but yet the word goes forth without hindrance. Paul really says the same thing in 2 Timothy 2.9 when he says, Though I'm in chains, the word of God is not chained. The word, the growth of the kingdom, does not depend on any one individual, as Paul himself says. But these verses, it's a very odd way to end a book. It's abrupt. It concludes in a very open-ended manner. Some... Some people speculate that the reason it ends in this abrupt manner is because Luke died suddenly and couldn't finish his book. But I believe a more convincing argument is that Luke intentionally ends in this abrupt manner, this open-ended way, for a literary purpose. He's teaching us that the growth of the kingdom is still going forth. The kingdom isn't fully developed yet at the book of Acts. We witness that even today. The gospel didn't stop in Rome. The gospel has come here today to Washington, a long ways away from Rome. So we should be greatly encouraged as we see that this promise, this illustration, this image of the kingdom as leaven, as a seed. We see, we can witness the fulfillment or the partial fulfillment of, of these promises. Not only in the book of Acts, but even in the 2,000 years of, of the history of the church. However, we also need to have tempered expectations. Because if I were to ask you all to, to make a list of the encouraging things that God is, has done and is doing in his kingdom today, we probably could come up with a, a pretty sizable list. But we also could probably come up with an equally long list of the discouraging things that are happening in the state of God's kingdom. Abuse, hypocrisy, churches imploding, the name of Christ being smeared through the mud. We, there's lots of things that, that seem discouraging. It sometimes seems as if we're taking two steps forward and two steps back. So we have to recognize the kingdom is not that full-grown cedar giving shade to all of the, the nations in one sense, the kingdom's like a, a sapling. But we are looking forward to that day when it will be that fully mature tree that gives shade to all of the nations. So this is a growing kingdom. Jesus promises the same thing when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We also see that this kingdom is a kingdom that, bless, that, that blesses. His kingdom is a kingdom that blesses. I've already alluded to the fact that Jesus says that this tree, which begins as a seed, will give shade to, uh, to the garden, that the birds of the air will make its nests in, in, in its branches. And this idea of birds nesting in, in a tree throughout Scripture is a picture of rest, of favor, of blessing. Remember Ezekiel 17, this great cedar of the messianic kingdom will give, um, 
a home to the birds of the world, the air. So here in this context, Jesus is referring to the, the blessings of the kingdom. That's what this, this note about the birds making their nest in the branches is referring to. This kingdom is a kingdom that blesses. Of course, we know that we're not living in the new heavens and the new earth yet. We don't enjoy the full, the full fulfillment of this kingdom. But where do we enjoy some of that shade of the kingdom? Some of that blessing of the kingdom? Where do we experience a foretaste of that fully realized kingdom that we're looking forward to in the age to come? Well, I noted two weeks ago that there's a close connection between the passage we looked at uh, before this and the passage we're considering today. So the Sabbath healing passage and this passage on the kingdom of God. You'll see that verse 18 connects these two passages where, uh, where we read, Therefore, Jesus asks, uh, what is the kingdom of God like? We know that age-old dictum that we have to ask when we see a therefore, what is it therefore? It's connecting this idea of the Sabbath with the kingdom of God. I use the analogy of, of an, uh, our national identity. It's ordinarily, citizens of a nation have national holidays that they enjoy, that they stop and reflect and remember a particular person or event in their history. That's significant. Well, for us who are members of the citizens, uh, or citizens of the kingdom, we have our own holiday, Holy Day, which is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the holiday for citizens of the kingdom. And thus the Sabbath is one of the main ways that we experience the shade of the kingdom of God, the blessings of the kingdom of God, a foretaste of that fully realized kingdom that we're looking forward to. Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man. It was given to us as a gift, as a blessing. It's one of the main ways in which Jesus seeks to bless the citizens of his kingdom. Listen to how one author uh, describes, uh, describes the Sabbath day. He says, it's not simply emptying the day with the list of rules, but by filling it with treasure hunting. The Christian Sabbath orientates us, our families, and our fellow saints to our heavenly citizenship. It goes on to say, whatever fills our Sundays fills our hearts throughout the week. The Lord's Day is not a prison, but a palace. It is a wonderful gift to turn off the devices that interrupt our daily schedules and to push our roots down into the fertile soil that produces trees in God's garden. So do we view the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, not as a, a prison, but as truly a gift from God that's meant to bless us? As we gather with the fellow citizens of the age to come, as we worship, which is what the age to come will be all about. As we experience rest, both physically and spiritually, and so doing, have a taste of the rest that is to come. As we come together at the table of the Lord, which, again, is a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb. We view the Sabbath day as a blessing, a holiday, a true holiday. 
Well, how do we enter this kingdom? Kingdom is a growing kingdom. This kingdom blesses its citizens. How does one attain citizenship in, in this kingdom? So we see that this kingdom is a kingdom that requires faith. In verses 22 through 30, we won't spend a lot of time on, on this passage, but we see that Jesus is continuing to journey to Jerusalem. I've noted that the, the main structure of Luke is after he begins his public ministry, he has this uh, ministry in the region of Galilee, which is in the north, and then he begins this long journey to Jerusalem to do what he came to this earth to do, to suffer and to die. And so we are in this section of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And so Luke is reminding us that we're still in that section. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And a question is put to him. uh, Someone asks him, well, who's going to be saved? Will it be a a few in number who who will one day be saved? And then Jesus goes on to tell a, a parable of sorts and he describes himself as a master of a house and that there's a day coming when the door to the kingdom will be closed. Be closed for good. Time will run out to repent and believe. Even though there will be those knocking at that time. If you think all the way back to Genesis, God, after the flood, which destroyed Mankind, God made a covenant with Noah, and this covenant was a covenant of preservation, meaning uh, God promised that he would never again judge the earth like he just did until the end of history. God would exercise patience and forbearance with all people. He would demonstrate common grace, whether you're Christian, non-Christian, believer, unbeliever, Jew, Gentile. The rain and the sun shines and falls on the just and the unjust. But there is an end point to his forbearance and patience. There's a day when that door will close. That's what Jesus is saying here. And notice that these individuals who are knocking on this door after it's been shut, they, they say, but Jesus, we ate and drank in your presence. We, we heard your teaching on our streets. And Jesus then goes on to respond in verse 27, I do not know where you came from. Depart from me, workers of of evil. Jesus is telling us that merely associating with with Christianity, with Jesus, is not enough. That's not the ticket to the kingdom. Merely going to church, hearing the teaching of, of Jesus, that also is not in itself the ticket to the kingdom. The key to opening this door. It begs the question, what is that key? What is that key that will open the narrow door that Jesus alludes to? Well, he doesn't explicitly allude to it here, but elsewhere in Scripture we see that that key is the key of faith and repentance. Paul says in Romans 10 that, That with the heart one believes and is justified. That is to say, made perfectly right before a holy God. And the one who believes will never be put to shame. Faith is that key which opens the narrow door into the kingdom. Ironically, it's faith. As we heard in our declaration of pardon, Jesus alludes in Matthew 17 and Luke 17 uh, to a mustard seed again. 
later on in his teaching. At that time, he refers to the mustard seed of faith. A mustard seed of faith will grant you entrance into the mustard seed of the kingdom. As I mentioned, that's good news for us as weak creatures, those who are prone to doubt, those who often say with a sinner, I believe, help my unbelief. Because it's not the quality of our faith that saves us. It's the possession of faith. It's not the quality of your faith. It's the possession of faith. You can't get much smaller than a mustard seed of faith. So as long as you have that key of faith, no matter what that key looks like, whether it's shiny, whether it's dull, whether it's rusty, as long as it's the, the key of faith, it will open the narrow door. You think about, I remember one uh, pastor uh, talking about, you know, I grew up in, in uh, Minnesota, and we were recently back there for my grand, uh, grandmother's funeral. And huge snowstorm reminded of below zero, just the bitterness of Midwestern winters. But imagine if you're walking out into a frozen lake in the Midwest, and you walk onto this lake and you exclaim to yourself, I'm staying afloat because of my faith and confidence in this ice. It's crazy. You would say the reason I'm not sinking is because there's a foot and a half of ice under my feet. So it is with our faith. It's not our faith that saves us. It's Christ that saves us. And our faith is merely the instrument, the hand that grabs hold of Christ, who is our salvation, who is our forgiveness, who is our righteousness. So faith, faith even as small as a mustard seed is the key to this narrow door. Lastly, Jesus reminds us that this kingdom is a kingdom that he himself desires for for you. In verse 31, we see at the same time some Pharisees come to Jesus and, and warn him that Herod wants to kill him. And he calls Herod a, a fox, and he says that his mission has a time limit. The third day, meaning after he rises from the dead and ascends into heaven, his mission will be accomplished. And then notice what he says in verse 34. Verse 34, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often... Would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing? Jesus is lamenting, lamenting those who, uh, who are part of ethnic Israel who have turned and rejected him and who will turn and reject him. He desires that they would turn to him rather than turn away from him. One thing that we know in Scripture is that not all will be saved. God speaks about a judgment to come, and he speaks about those who will be impotent, those who will, uh, won't bow the knee and repent of their sins and will face judgment on that last day when the door is closed. Why, why is it this way? Why, why do some believe? Why do some turn away? Why does God pass over others and leave them to their own sin and 
and, and misery. We know that God is just in doing that. He owes no one salvation. We're the ones who've sinned, who've, who've uh, transgressed his law, his moral order. But we ultimately can't answer the question about why some are saved and some will face judgment. This belongs to the secret will of God. But one thing we do know is that Jesus desires the salvation of all. We know that God desires things that he doesn't always decree. There are some things that God desires but does not will to happen or decree to happen. For example, in Ezekiel 33, God says very much the same thing. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Oh, that the wicked would turn and repent. But it's this wicked, but he knows that these people won't. So this is comforting. This tells us that if you're here today and you, don't, you haven't turned to Jesus in faith, a personal faith where you yourself have, have thrown yourself upon Christ as the only means of acceptance before the creator of the heavens and the earth, Jesus desires that you would do so. Jesus desires this kingdom for you. This also reminds us that everyone who, with whom we come into contact with, we can genuinely Speak to them of the good news of this kingdom and say, Jesus desires this for you. So, beloved in the Lord, brothers and sisters, what is the kingdom of God like? Well, Jesus here points us to a pinch of leaven. He points us to a seed growing into a tree, and he desires that you would respond with the key of faith. So let us pray.